0: We're glad you're joining us here at Common Thread Online. This is a recording of our community gathering as we do each week to think together about the spiritual journey. At the end of the lesson, we open the floor for discussion, but we'd love to hear what you're thinking as well. On our website, our directions to download our app. Once you have it, join the group, What Are You Thinking? We'd love to connect with you there. Today's lesson is difficult. It's difficult to hear. It's difficult to fully engage because... It explores things that human beings at our deepest core work really hard to not explore. So maybe don't be surprised if you find yourself uncomfortable or if you find yourself tuning out or objecting or thinking about something else. Also, it gets a little dark, (laughs) but it's a yin-yang kind of dark. We engage the dark because it is a traveling companion with the light. Here's basically what the lesson will say. It'll say that spirituality, the spiritual tradition, spiritual wisdom, has an antidote to the lost days and the lost years and the lost peace and the lost meaning when we get caught in the drift. When we get carried off by productivity culture, valuing our humanity by what we produce, when we get carried off by our no-limits culture, there is an antidote. But it's a hard antidote because it's a hard truth, it's a hard wisdom. It's actually harder than, hey, you know what, you all should observe the Sabbath. I think that's a good thing. I think if we made regular rest a consistent part of our lives, our lives would be better. But this is harder than that because you should do this doesn't really get to the core of the underlying drivers that we all live in as a culture. It doesn't help us, you should do this doesn't help us understand the why. Why do we consistently jam more into our lives than can fit into a human life? So let's start with the productivity culture current in our culture. And a good place to start that is in our Hebrew wisdom tradition, the book of Ecclesiastes. It's a well-known text. That's the wrong way. It's a well-known text. There is a time. There's a time for this. There's a time for that. There's a time to push against limits. There's a time to stop when we hit the limits. There's a time to produce. There's a time to stop producing. There's a rhythm of giving and receiving. There's a rhythm of sacrificing and being sacrificed for. There's a time. There's a rhythm. The wisdom tradition teaches us that life won't work if we only tear down and if we never build up. Or conversely, if we only plant and we never uproot, if we only keep and we never throw away. Or for our lesson, if we only produce and we never stop producing. Fail to honor that basic truth, the tradition teaches us life just won't work. But odds are, you're aware that this is a conversation our society is having quite a bit these days we're calling it trying to figure out work-life balance and there is plenty out there if you google work-life balance to help you wrestle with that uh, help you know when to work help you know when to rest help you know what's going on not that we do very well with all the stuff that is out there there is plenty out there but we don't always engage it very well but there are a lot of folks thinking seriously about work-life balance I think the one that we're more blind to, more ignoring of, is the no limits current in our culture. And it turns out that Ecclesiastes speaks to that as well. A little bit about the book. There's a lot of scholarly debate among people who think about this kind of thing. What's the core message of Ecclesiastes? And more, is it a depressing message, a pessimistic message, a message of despair, or Is is it a life-affirming, hopeful message of promise? And there is plenty in there to argue for despair. Just a few of the lines. There is evil under everything under the sun. (laughs) Everything is emptiness. Everything is vapid. Everything is chasing after wind. Nothing matters. There's plenty in there to support the idea that this is a hopeless message. But maybe not so fast. Maybe it made it into our wisdom tradition because there's wisdom in there and let's see if maybe we can find it. I think the genius of this book is what it tells us about limits. Basically in a very no bones way it says there are human limits. No wiggle room, no debate, there are limits. And counterintuitively. If we look at that core reality from the right perspective it actually can produce a great deal of hope it can be very life affirming just a few chapters after that very famous text is this one there is evil in everything that happens under the sun not a great start (laughs) but it gets better the same destiny eventually overtakes us all, death. <laughs> we live and then we die. And, I particularly like this line, I'd rather be a live dog than a dead lion. <laughs> Everybody who is alive knows that they're going to die, that their names will be forgotten, that all of their love and their hate and their jealousy, everything that mattered so much, will all disappear from under the sun. So, not surprisingly, some scholars have concluded, not a particularly hopeful message, the book of Ecclesiastes. (laughs) But here's where I find the hope. The jolting harshness of that message is there in order to cement inside of our understanding, there are limits non-negotiable, no wiggle room limits. You've heard me say it in many other contexts. When we organize our lives around a truth that is not true enough, we suffer. Uh, You've heard my example of that from many occasions. I spent years organizing my life around a truth that if I organize and control all the variables of life, life will be safe, life will be good. It's a little bit true. It's just not a true enough truth. Consequently, it caused me, it caused those I love a great deal of pain. If you've done self-awareness or if you've done the Enneagram, you know that you too are disposed to truths that are not true enough. We reflected on some of the primary ones in the uh, welcome prayer this morning. Uh, We know that when we uh, organize our lives around a truth that is not true enough, it causes a great deal of human pain. I think that the gift that the book of Ecclesiastes gives us is to help us grapple with one truth, a truth we'd rather avoid that is true enough. We are all gonna die. We all face limits and there's not a thing we can do that's going to budge that. But now here's the thing. You already know that. We all know that. Everybody knows that. But one of the tricks of our brains Is that we can know a reality without really knowing it. We know it in a I will give mental assent to that idea kind of way. I will give agreement to the facts kind of way. But the tricks of our brain can help us give mental assent to a truth and at the same time keep it at a very definitive arms distance so that we can, in fact, trick ourselves into ignoring it, avoiding it, without actually thinking we're doing that. Because if we actually thought we would do that, we'd realize that's silly. You know, everybody dies. We know that that's a a basic truth. But what we do is, by keeping it at arm's distance, we afford ourselves the luxury of being able to organize our lives around some other truth. Some lesser truth. Because it's painful to look squarely at the limits that we human beings face. It's painful to know that death awaits all of us. It's painful to know that there is not enough time. There is never enough time. We get 80 years if we're lucky maybe we only get today. We get 24 hours in a day we cannot get more. No amount of efficiency no amount of jamming things in is ever going to change 80 years if we're lucky 24 hours in a day. And that is a true enough truth that we could and our spirituality tradition encourages us to build our lives on. So like I said that's a dark place to go. Death is a dark place to go in a lesson. It's territory that we human beings work hard to avoid. Like I said we use all those mental tricks and distractions to blunt the impact of this really harsh reality of hard limits. We keep that truth corralled in the mental ascent territory so that we can keep it out of the grapple with seriously territory. So when Ecclesiastes comes along and takes away the wiggle room and lays all of our brain tricks bare exposes our evolutionary inclination, we develop these brain tricks to keep despair at bay so that we wouldn't suck up the energy so we could go out and gather berries or hunt caribou. When Ecclesiastes exposes our proclivity to keep that dark truth at arm's distance, it actually gives us a gift. When we avoid some truth or another, It doesn't stop being true simply because we avoid it. And it turns out when we avoid this one, we don't make hard decisions. We don't make hard choices. We don't decide what we are going to have to say no to so that we can say yes to what we choose to say yes to. We don't make our bed in the vain hope that we won't have to lie in it. We allow ourselves a little bit of comfort to avoid the harsh truth of limits, to stay in the illusion and think that there really aren't limits because we give ourselves just a little bit of freedom to feel immortal or to feel unlimited. By staying in the illusion we don't have to choose because we don't have to admit limits. We can have it all, we can do it all. We can't, but our brains will do us this service and tell us that we can. The illusion doesn't change the truth, but it keeps us from having to admit it. The brilliance of Ecclesiastes, why it made it into the canon of the wisdom literature, none of that for you. You can't do that. That's not what I wrote in my notes. What I wrote in my notes is none of that shit. (laughs) There's not, Ecclesiastes says, there's not, 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 and there never will be enough time. Eighty years is not enough time. Twenty-four hours is not enough time. You cannot do all the good things that there are to do. You cannot, you just can not. You can't do everything. You can't taste everything. You can't experience everything. You can't go everywhere. You just can not. So we have to decide We have to decide. And the spiritual tradition tells us there are limits, but that's not the most painful part of this equation. The most painful part is what happens to us when we avoid that truth. The most painful thing is what happens to us when we don't choose and when we don't decide. We create pain when we try and jam more into a human life than will fit into a human life. We pain, We create pain in our bodies and in our minds because if we never fully decide what our yeses are going to be, we never decide my destiny is going to be informed by these yeses that I decide. The things that I said no to, other things so, I can say yes to this. The deeper pain, our wisdom tradition tells us, is not deciding wisely. Not being forced into the decision of what our yeses will be and what our noes will be. The deeper pain comes from not choosing, not selecting. We can do that if we allow ourselves to labor onto the illusion that we don't have to decide. We can do that if we labor onto the illusion that we never have to say, boy, that's a really nice thing, but it's not my thing. I only get these years. I only get these hours. And what I have chosen leaves no room for that. We can labor under the illusion. We don't have to do that. And we do. We have to make those decisions. It's a hard lesson because it's a hard human reality. There is reason that our brains are wired to avoid it because it scares the bejesus out of us. But the good news is that saints and sages and philosophers all attest to this, that if we will go up to this painful thing, if we will go at this painful thing, if we will grapple with our limits and face down the emotional resistance and actually go there, there is a good life on the other side. We can live in busy, busy town. We can have an it is enough life we can have enough to do and enough time to do it. I don't know if you remember Benedict from our first uh, lesson this year, the New Year's lesson. In his Guide to Spiritual Living, he wrote a chapter, Keep Death Daily Before Your Eyes. Keep Death Daily Before Your Eyes. He suggests that a regular meditation on the reality that we're all going to die would help us practice spiritual Detachment. Detaching from the power of the lesser to dominate our lives. Detachment from our ego compulsions, our not true enough truths, our shadow sides. Detachment helps us transcend our evolutionary brains, helps us transcend the the illusion that there are no limits, helps us make the difficult choices. Because it turns out, once we detach from the illusion of limit denial, the hard choices stop being quite as hard. We internalize what our yeses will be and what our noes will be. When we do that, it's not as hard to make our choices to match our yeses. Detach from the illusion, and it's not hard to live the life that Merton described last week. It is enough. It is enough to live within the limits of a human life. Freed from the limit denying illusion, we can live life without jamming in more than fits into a human life. We have to make decisions. We have to decide what our yeses will be. And the tradition also gives us some tips about what those ought to be, what our choices ought to include. Merton made a list. Here's some good yeses he suggested from his position having practiced contemplative life. Eat and sleep and rise, go to bed, blankets, coffee, working, stopping work. Funny thing is his list matches pretty closely what the author of Ecclesiastes said when he considered the same question. Right after the depressing part, the author says this, If you're going to live well and going to live within the limits that we all face, maybe focus here. Eat your food with gladness. Drink your wine with joy. Enjoy wearing your clothes. Enjoy doing your hair. Savor those relationships that are meaningful with your wife, with your husband, the one that you love. You get these few days on earth, so work hard. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all of your might. Which again, sounds a lot like Merton. Sounds like busy, busy town. Sounds like enough to do and enough time to do it. And that really does become the gift that the author of Ecclesiastes gives us. Forcing us to face limits that we do everything we can to avoid so that it forces us to make choices. We have to then decide, what will I do with this one life that I get on this earth? So in dwelling divine, may we. May we live lives from truths that are true enough. May we live lives choosing wisely within the limits that all human beings face. May that be so. Amen. Well, uh, we all get out our phones now because we we all give online now. You can point your camera at the QR code right there. Or uh, you can thumb type if you want. Go to our website, commonthreadchurch.org. At the top of the page is the donate button. Lots of options. Lots of ways to give. We invite you to that if you're here in Raleigh, but also... Uh, If uh, you're living far away, we invite you to take an ownership stake in the community. It turns out that we are a pretty generous community. Uh, We are occupying our new space because we're a generous community. We're able to handle the costs that may well accrue to us of updating wiring that was done in the 1940s because we are a generous community. Uh, We have, I have no doubt, we'll be able to take care of our children's groups and our teenage groups because we've been a generous community because you do what I encourage us every week do to do to remember that there's always good return. When we invest in spiritual community, we give our time and we give our energy and we give our love and we give our dollars. And then the community takes those resources and amplifies them and gives them back to us in the form of an environment in which we can thrive. So we all give on our website. Now it's as easy as can be. And, um, in a moment here in the room we're going to do what are you thinking but first we're going to dismiss those of you who are online Uh, you may not know if you're just tuning in that this is one of the best parts of our community life Uh, we figure out what all that lesson means in our own lives when we sit and talk about it together so for us, participating is easy. We're already in the room. But for you, you're going to have to click. And that click is a very expensive thing to do because now you have to think about, am I going to do it? Are they going to like me? What if they reject me? I'm frightened. It's new. It's different. I don't know. You've got to go through all that stuff. And all that resistance comes up. But here's the thing. Our pledge is, if you'll do that, go through the resistance. At the end of the 20 minutes, we're pretty confident you will feel uh, a whole lot uh, less uh, stranger-ish, and a whole lot more embraced and I think Scott's leading it today he'll be very nice to you uh, so <laughs> anyway um, as they're getting ready to go let's go ahead and dismiss them oh by the way here's how you get there you got to go to the front page of the website and get the, the link or you can do it right there in the YouTube notes but the password is one four one seven one four one seven All right let's dismiss the folks online if you would let's put our hands on our hearts and remember as we go that we are every one of us carriers of the indwelling divine we all carry love and joy and peace and patience kindness goodness all of that is in us because divine breath is in us because we carry the inner light within us and if you would then extend your other hand to our city let's look for opportunities to share what's already in us with the people that we live and work and go to school with, looking for opportunities to repair and heal our worlds. Amen. God bless you all. You are dismissed. We are. If these recordings help you move forward on your spiritual journey, we hope you'll take an ownership stake in the community and support the health and well being of the community. Go to our website, commonthreadchurch.org. The donate button is right there on the top. Thank you.